Our scripture for today is John 11, verse 45 through 53. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to their Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, both our place... Uh, Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Opal. Um, I was thinking to you, wasn't planning on saying this, but uh, just as an FYI, uh, we are planning on having a Christmas Eve service. So as we, as you maybe are are with family during Thanksgiving this week or something, and maybe are starting to to look ahead to to Christmas time. the I, The Christmas Eve service I feel like is one of my favorite services that we have all year, and um, is just a, a sweet time to, to to really join that evening. And so we'll be having that. And and man, I know a lot of people. I think our family had to go through this too, where it, it was like, here are all the traditions we had. And it's like, okay, usually this is what we're doing Christmas Eve, but I think if there's a way to incorporate this as, your, as a part of the Christmas Eve traditions, maybe new traditions um, of coming together, of really worshiping together, uh, we do the lighting totally different. We're going to start doing a bunch of Christmas lighting next week and everything. But also, it kind of falls a little differently this year, so Christmas Eve is on a Friday, and then Christmas Day is on Saturday, and then we'll have church Sunday. So we'll have the Christmas Eve service, Saturday will be Christmas Day, and then we'll have uh, regular church service on Sunday. So just, just as a FYI, and we'll send the, the, the time will be a normal time on Christmas Day, on, or on, sorry, on the Sunday after Christmas will be a normal 10 a.m. service, but the Christmas Eve service will get those times out and everything. So uh, we preach through the Bible here, and so we've been preaching through the book of John, uh, we launched the church preaching through the book of Ephesians, and we preached on First Thessalonians, Daniel, um, and preaching through John has been our, our biggest book of the Bible that, that we've walked through. I think we're 40-plus weeks in the book of John right now, and uh, we, we wrap up chapter 11 today. And if you remember, last week was Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead by just saying it, just speaking it. And he speaks worlds into existence and he spoke life to Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. And really, last week we ended with Lazarus walking out of the grave. And today is kind of the what happened afterwards and the repercussions of what happened afterwards are very significant, I think, for, for us knowing what happened then, but significant in our lives as well. And I, I thought I'd pray again. You might be like, man, they pray a lot around here, but it's because like, our goal is not to just kind of play at church. Our goal is actually to have 
God at the center of what we're doing today and for him to empower it, for him to teach us, for him to, to, to link us together and have us be uh, a church, a, an alive body of his uh, that is, is, is alive and well. And so, so, Lord, I do pray even as we open your word, you are the author, you know the intent not just of what you meant when you write, wrote that, but you know the author's intent of how you intend for that to change each one of us this morning. So would you have your way this morning? Would you teach us your words this morning? Would you guide me personally? Um, I, I don't want to say anything that's not what, what, what you are saying, and so would you, would you have me not say anything that would be wrong? And would you just speak through me um, or even just bypass me and just speak directly to us as, um, as we're in your word this morning for your glory, we pray. Amen. So we're in verse 45, uh, John 11. We've got Bibles on the table over here, um, but if it's just a blessing, you can just relax and we'll have the verses on the screen too. So verse 45 says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary... And had seen what he did, believed in him. That's awesome. Many of the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, raising Lazarus from the dead, believed in him. Verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Uh, many people, many people are, are not in the room, but are in the tomb. <laughs> many people are, are surrounding the place where Lazarus was, was entombed. These people had been mourning with Mary, and then when Mary got up to go to where Jesus was, outside of the tomb of Lazarus, they all see, they hear, they can smell what it smelled like that day. Uh, they hear, they see Jesus speak. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. He tells Lazarus to rise up from being dead for four days, and Jesus' statement is met with obedience. Jesus' statement is met with obedience. Nature has to obey. This is how powerful Jesus is. And Jesus even had told us previously that he is the resurrection and life. So Jesus doesn't perform resurrections. Jesus doesn't perform resurrections. Jesus is resurrection and Life happens around him. That, that's who he is. Dead things come to life around him. Crooked things are made straight before him. Life emanates from him. And many people believe in Jesus at this point, which you would expect. Um, and what's fascinating is, imagine, like you've been mourning for days that Lazarus is dead. You knew Lazarus was a best friend of Jesus. You've been mourning for days that Lazarus is dead. Lazarus comes to life, 
And I think the natural thing would be to like run up to Lazarus and like do the whole like jumping up and down, hugging each other, you know, like, like just celebrating. I mean, because you've been mourning this guy. You've been thinking about Lazarus for days and he's alive. He's in front of you. Like parties, celebrations, like him just being celebrated is what I would imagine is going to happen. And what they do, I think, is surprising in one sense, but not surprising in another sense, is the attention goes straight to Jesus. Like, the center of the moment of Lazarus coming alive is not to focus on Lazarus. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, who can do this? It's almost like, oh, hey, Lazarus, oh my gosh. You know, like, the attention to Lazarus is, is not there. The, the rest of this passage is focused on who did this and, and what does that mean? And yes, they are glad Lazarus is alive. But this moment becomes a moment to reckon with Jesus and a moment of being like, what I have just seen, I, uh, me and him <laughs> need to do something right now based on what I've just seen, Lazarus come out. And, um, and many in that moment believe. And by believe, it's not just they're like, wow, you're a really good moral teacher. Good job. Thank you for bringing our friend back. Like, they, they, that's not the type of believe. The type of believe isn't like, oh, baby Jesus, you know, really good job. I respect you. And then just kind of go on with their life. Like, it's not a belief like that. It's the type of belief that's like, you commanded life out of dead death. You commanded life and life obeyed. And with you commanding things like that, I placed my life in your hands. Command my life. Speak to my life. Command me as you will. My life is in your hands. I'm not my own. I'm yours. I believe you are my Lord. I believe you are my God. I believe you are my Savior. Like, that's how believe is used uh, throughout the book of John and in this passage. So there's many people there in the cemetery who, with Lazarus standing there alive, many people believe in Jesus. But verse 46, but some of them don't believe. And they go to the Pharisees and tell them what Jesus had done. And you could say, well, maybe they were looking the other way. Maybe their kids were there and were talking to them and they got distracted and they were like, oh, Jesus, or Lazarus, you're alive. Um, gosh, maybe, uh, uh, maybe Lazarus wasn't really dead in the first place. Or maybe, like, you, you, you know, it's like, well, well maybe there's like some other ways that Lazarus could have been alive and then that's how they were believing or, or whatever it would be. But what I love about this passage is like, no. They saw, they heard Jesus, they saw with their own eyes, they were, they were there in that moment 
And no one in this passage is pushing back against the reality that Jesus just brought a guy back from being dead for four days. No, there isn't one pushback that Jesus was the only catalyst from Lazarus being dead to Lazarus being alive. It was clear what Jesus did, and look at verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Such a staggering statement. If we just let Jesus be just unhindered, if we don't fight against him, if we just let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him. They don't dispute what's just happened, and they recognize, not only do they not dispute it, but they recognize if everybody would be around Jesus, everybody's going to believe him if we let him go on like this. And then we get the reason why the people that day didn't believe in Jesus. We actually get the reason um, in the second half of verse 48. So the first half, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Here's the reason. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they see Jesus cry out to Lazarus. They knew it was Jesus' power that no one else could do. And man, they could have ran up to Lazarus, put Lazarus on their shoulders, never think again about Jesus, but they knew that Jesus was the center of this moment. And when they considered the moment, when they considered believing in Jesus, all in, they then started thinking about what could happen next. What, if, if I go all in with Jesus, what could happen? What could happen next? And they were like, man, so if I say Jesus is my king, that means that I'm not going to say the emperor of Rome is my king anymore. I have a higher king, and maybe Rome won't like that. And man, if, if all of us do that, Rome's going to have a big problem with us, and they're probably going to destroy our city. They're probably going to take my home. And I just got the grass going in the backyard. You know, and like, like you just, they just start thinking of all of these things that could happen if they go all in with Jesus, if they actually believe. And what they imagined basically was that their world as they knew it would change. If I go in with Jesus, if I believe in Jesus, the world as I know it will change. And so many of the people there that were like, I know, let's believe him. Have you seen, like, Lazarus, exhibit A, let's believe he is good, he is powerful, he is for our good. I can put the control of my life in his hands to change it however he wants. That's what many people there were believing. But then other people who went to the Pharisees were, um, were right about one thing. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a point that's true for them and a point that's true for us, and we put this on banners and stuff, which is Jesus changes everything. Like, they were right in counting the cost and recognizing, like, here's what could happen. Jesus changes everything. And in one sense, they get it. The people who are not believing in Jesus, they get it. 
They're not arguing against Jesus' ability to do miracles. They're not arguing about, like, they're just like, hey, I, I've seen everything that's happened here. I know Jesus was the reason everything happened, and um, I know he's going to change everything. And they, they are more comfortable with their life without Jesus than what life could be like in Jesus' hands. And um, if they go on like this, if Jesus goes on like this, everyone's going to believe, and their, their resistance isn't to what Jesus has done. They're just resisting the change that will happen in their lives if they believe. They know it's going to cost everything to follow him. And, um, and I can attest, Jesus changes everything. <laughs> like, I could, you know, we could all share stories of like, man, um, following Jesus has been a wild ride. I gave my life to him. In, I was on the rugby team at University of Northern Iowa in 1997 and was living the way I wanted to live and, uh, and met him, gave my life to him, believed in him, and he changed everything. And it's been a wild ride. It's been a painful ride. It's been a good ride. Um, Verse 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, there's some really great archaeology. They've discovered Caiaphas's actual where he was buried. They know they have his bones. Like it's um, Caiaphas is well attested historically as being right there at the time, at the place, uh, with the role. They can tell what the, the how ornate all this stuff was, that he was a very top official. And so Caiaphas who was high priest this year, said to them, you know nothing at all to the people who have come, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So Caiaphas thinks he's figured this out. He even tells the people who have come, you don't know anything. They don't know Caiaphas's scheme. They don't know what he's planning. In verse 50, he says, it's better that one man should die than for the whole nation to perish. He's saying it's better for things to just remain as they are than for everything to change. Let's just keep everything as it is. We will remove that guy from history, and we will just go on as it is. Nothing needs to change. And instead of possibly the whole nation perishing, we can just kill Jesus and keep our nation as it is. And Caiaphas uh, says it better that one man should die for the people instead of a whole nation perishing. And Caiaphas is being devious, He's being deeply sinful. He's actually supposed to know Scripture better than anybody else. He is resisting so much truth to try to keep his little religious world going. But Caiaphas, in this moment, is speaking way more than he understands. He thinks like, here's my plan, my devious plan. Here's how I'm going to get Jesus out of the picture. And the Lord's like, yeah, that is what I'm doing. 
And I think Caiaphas probably is just dumbstruck with what's like, oh, I thought this was my plan. Um, what Caiaphas is speaking about, uh, the, when we read Scripture and theology is just thinking about God in light of Scripture, uh, there's a fancy theological term called penal substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. And the, the penal part refers to a penalty that on the cross, Jesus is paying the penalty of the crimes that are done by mankind against our God. So there's a penalty for crimes against God committed by all of us by actions that we've done against a good God. And Jesus says, I volunteer to come and pay that penalty that they actually could not pay. Penal substitutionary. His payment is our substitution. He is on the cross that I should be on. He is there substituting his life for my life. He is on the cross as our substitute. Penal substitutionary atonement. Atonement is that his death atoned for our sins. His death brought two disparate parties together. Some people like say, think of atonement as at, at one meant. That his work on the cross brought at one meant, <laughs> brought two together to one, atonement. And exactly what Caiaphas is deviously saying is exactly what God is planning, is that instead of a nation perishing, instead of a nation perishing, a nation is being saved not just a local nation, but all everywhere by one person substituting himself for everything. Caiaphas meant it in a way of like, let's just get this guy out of the picture and our nation will be fine. And God was like, no, this guy needs to be in the picture so a greater nation can be, be born and be truly fine. And this is the power of penal substitutionary atonement. Caiaphas speaks beyond his understanding. And what's fascinating is this is a pivotal decision point. Verse 53 says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. I mean, it seems so ludicrous that the day that an entire people in a community are mourning for Lazarus' death, four days, four days in the morning, Jesus brings him back to life by just a statement and they know it's a greater statement about who Jesus is, and it's that same day that gets to where we will kill him. We have determined, the, the religious leaders of the day have determined, we will kill him. We will put him to death. We, will, we commit that we will murder the Son of God. Verse 54. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus, not in the way you would think, but they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, 
he should let them know so that they might arrest him and kill him. So the Passover is one of the, we've seen several things in the book of John already happen during the Passover. So we've covered already multiple years in the book of John, and here we're at the Passover once again. This is one of the key holidays that celebrated God's rescue of his people in history. So God's people had lived for 400 years as slaves in Egypt. Archaeologically, it's during the building of the Great Pyramids, so being enslaved to a people who were doing things like that was just a a very painful slavery for 400 years. And God heard the cries of his people, raised up Moses, powerfully led them out. Whoever took, and what the Passover signified was that whoever took, God told them, here's what we're going to do. Take the blood of a lamb and put it on your home. So actually, put the blood on your home, and when the angel of death moves through Egypt, the people who have put the blood on their home will be passed over. So the angel of death will pass over them. The people who refuse God's way will not be passed over. And so many, many, many firstborn died that day as, as pretty much all of Egypt refused to do what God had gave them. And people who listened and responded survived. And they were led to the promised land. So the irony is thick. I mean, it takes like a butter knife, you know, to just... It's so th- the irony is so thick in verses 55 through 57 that people are walking into Jerusalem. As they are walking into Jerusalem, they're first supposed to purify themselves ceremonially. So they, there's all these ways in the city where you would ceremonially purify yourself. And what they're trying to do is to be pure to enter into the worshiping community to celebrate the Passover. And so people who are in line... So track with me here, because I know we're getting, like, this is so significant. People who are in line to be purified are looking for Jesus. You know, they're in line to be purified. They're looking for Jesus so that they can rat him out, so that then he can get arrested and be killed. And they are not believing he is the Passover, <laughs> That if the blood of the Lamb, if the blood of Jesus is placed on your family, if you believe Him, then you are passed over. The angel of death passes over you. And here on Passover, for a people who are looking to purify themselves, it says, that they are on the lookout for God who is there to purify them and to be the true Passover, and they would rather keep the shadow than embrace the object creating the shadow. Uh, So they'd rather keep the law than trust in Christ. They'd rather keep the Passover and kill Jesus. Uh, We're even told the, the law was a guardian. The law was this guardian that was protecting us. The book of Galatians talks about this. The law was a guardian protecting us teaching us until Christ came. The law was good. David said that he delights 
in the law. He delights in obeying the law. But the law was never designed to be the end of it all. The law was always the treasure map. The law was a treasure map that was pointing to the real Passover, the real emperor, the real nation for us to care about, the real way to freedom. Jesus changes everything, and that can be terrifying. So for people hearing this and realizing Jesus is changing everything is if we have grown comfortable in a life without Jesus. If we've grown really comfortable in a life without Jesus, it can seem terrifying what a life with Jesus could look like. And at best, at best, when you think about what might be walking with Jesus, what might happen walking with Jesus, that if we've grown so comfortable in the life without Jesus, at best, we could just be frozen. Just like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't know what, I don't know what to do because I kind of love life without Jesus. What could happen if I believe? That's at best, you're kind of frozen. At worst, you want to kill him. Jesus, just get out of my life. Leave me alone. And I'm not proud of this, but for about two years, 1995, 1996, that was my posture. That was my prayers. My life would be perfect, Jesus, if you would just leave me alone. Just let me go the direction I want to go. You go whatever direction, whatever people need you, but I'm good without you. Leave me alone. Uh, let me continue in the things that are bringing me joy, I thought at the time. Let me continue doing the things I wanted to do, and thankfully, he loved me enough not to answer that prayer. And that's the type of Savior he is, too. Like, you can give him the, give him the, the stiff arm for years, and he's like, I'm, I'm, you're rejecting me, I accepted you. Like, while you're pushing me away, I was moving towards you, I was being your substitute, I was paying for you. And, um, man, he loved me enough not to answer that prayer. But what if the prayers of our community... What if our prayers, what if the prayers in the midst of everything we have going on is Jesus change everything? Jesus like, the control of my life is in your hands. I trust you. I can trust your way for me. Um, man, would we just say, like, Jesus, go on like this. <laughs> if they're like, if we let him go on like this, he's going to change everything. And we should say, like, hey, go on like this. Whatever you want to do, keep doing it. Go on like this change everything, it's going to be amazing, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. And uh, man, this is, it d d isn't always this way, but with the Apostle Paul, who, you know, some could say like, man, he seemed to get a, a pretty good, like he drew a good straw, being able to write about a third of the New Testament. He drew a good straw, like with just how God used him and stuff. Well, when he was coming to Jesus, Jesus told him, like, go do this and this, and then I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. That was part of his calling. I'm going to show you how much you're going to suffer. And um, it's true that Paul's life would have been easier. He wouldn't have suffered so much if he didn't put his life in the hands of Jesus. Jesus even tells him that. I'm going to let you know how much you're going to suffer for my sake. But even with all the suffering, um, Paul, even in prison, says, uh, this is my joy. I'm being used up on Jesus. Like, this is, th this is 
This is a wild ride. This is amazing. This is my joy. And uh, because even a lifetime of suffering, I think Paul, dying without Jesus is eternal suffering. And even when Jesus, we just say, hey, change everything. And it even costs us dearly. It's like, man, it costs Jesus everything to change everything. And so do what you want. And to do that in our community, to find life in the fullest as he's changing everything, believing in him and all of these things. Um, man, would Jesus' actions that day with Lazarus not be a turning point to us wanting to drive Jesus out of our lives, as it was for many of the people there? Would Jesus' actions that day with Lazarus be a turning point today for each of us giving Jesus our lives? For some of you that, like, would you do that today for the first time? To say, like, okay, I'm going to lay aside all the what could be, what could happen, what might happen, all that stuff, and I'm going to say, I'm not disagreeing with the things I'm seeing you do. The way you're controlling, the way that you're orchestrating things, orchestrate my life. I give my life to you to do that for the first time or to maybe just do that today in a new, fresh way, saying, like, I think I've been trying to reel Jesus back in and say this is the way it needs to look by me following you, but to say, like, Jesus, you change everything. Go on like that. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, we surrender to your presence. We come to you with uh, just your resurrection and life. Lord, I thank you so much that these words are true. I thank you so much that this is who you are, that I've seen this in other people's lives. I've, I've felt this in my own life. Uh, we are praying this for our community. And Lord, uh, we have seen you do powerful miracles, even in the last two plus years of this church. And we just say, Jesus, go on like this. Would you go on like this in Collins Maxwell? Would you go on like this in Baxter at West Marshall, Colonesco? Jesus, would you just go on like this? Would you change us for your glory, we pray. Amen. So a beautiful thing, if those serving communion would like to, to come, a beautiful way that he designed for us to commune with him is through communion. Um, the Greens will be serving this today. Um, the way that they do that, that we do it here is they'll have plastic gloves on. They'll tear the bread, and if you just walk up with your hands like this, we'll come down the center, and then uh, they'll they'll give you the bread and say, "This is the body of Jesus given for you," because it is. Did this for each of us. Take wine or juice, obey your conscience. The way we'll do it here is to take the elements, and then we'll remain standing, and then take it together as as family. Um, if if you are yet have put your faith in Jesus, if you're like, hey, I, I know he's calling me to believe him today, uh, don't come to this right away. Come to him. Believe. I'd love to talk with you about that. Um, and then come to the table. Uh, we should never rush to the table without pausing, looking to him, saying, let's talk. This can be, a, this can be as we commune with him uh, in this physical way, as we commune with him spiritually praying, it can be a beautiful time that he'll actually do work with us, open our eyes to things. So let's spend some time looking to him, and then let's come to the table.